Well, good morning. It is great to be here this morning. It is so much fun to be able to stand here and share this wonderful psalm, Psalm 57, with you. I want to start out and just ask a question. Have you ever in your life been in a really bad storm? I mean, a really bad storm where there was a hail, maybe a tornado or something that happened in your life that, you know, that just kind of wrecked you? Yeah. Stephen, would you like to throw that picture up on the screen there? This is my neighborhood when I was eight. It was August of 1968, so you can do the math. I'm not going to do it for you, but because I can't count that high. But anyway, that is our street. We had a tornado that came through. There was an F3, so it was the middle of the road. It was a fairly significant one. And I remember that day like it was yesterday, even though I was only seven years old, really. Actually, I was seven, right before my eighth birthday. And I remember that, and I remember the storms were gathering, and there was, you know, and I lived in Omaha, Nebraska, so that's where that happened, in Omaha, Nebraska. And, and uh, I remember that when the storms were coming in, my dad always got the map out and we were following the storms across the state, county by county, as the warnings were coming through. And we went out into the garage, we got all of the chairs that we could find, put them down in the basement to get ready because we knew that our time was going to come. And when the warning came and we all went downstairs, my grandmother my dad's mom was there, and she's a devout Christian, so she began to pray that God would spare our house. The storm, it felt like, and I can tell you that it felt like it took forever to get there. But literally, in like two minutes, maybe three, as I remember, now again, that was a long time ago, it was over, and the sun came out, and it was time to go outside, and this is what we saw a path of destruction. Our house on this bottom row of houses was probably about three houses to the right. But you can see, you know, if you look, you can see where the tornado came through and just went basically through and just missed our backyard because that, that strip mall right there is basically just right outside our fence. And so <laughs> during that time, we knew, you know, that the storms, they come, they come fast, and then when they're over, sometimes there's a path of destruction left to clean up behind. So this story that I just told you is, is kind of a metaphor, if you will, for the psalm that we're looking at. There are storms in David's life. He's being attacked by Saul, who's trying to kill him. But David knows that the storm will pass, and so, but he also knows that it might leave a path of destruction. That's why I wanted to share that story with you. Because we know, as, as Zane read in 1 Samuel chapter 24, that Saul wants to kill David. He wants to kill him because he's jealous of David. He's jealous that David's name is becoming greater than his. That he is becoming a better, more well-known warrior king than Saul. Saul's anointed by the Lord to be Israel's first human king. There was the people were crying out this song. They were saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So you could see that they were seeing that David was the greater king. And this enraged him to the point of where he wanted to kill David. 
And it's ironic in a way because David became fast friends, soulmates if you will, brothers in the Lord with his son Jonathan. And because of his friendship with Jonathan, that also enraged Saul to the point that he wanted to kill David. It was a friendship between those two that only two men can have if they're brothers in Christ together. And so Saul sees himself as the anointed king of Israel, but he also knows that David is also a king. And David is doing all he can to be respectful to Saul in the position that he carries as the anointed one of the Lord. And we see in that passage that Zane just read that easily he could have killed Saul, but he chose not to. In fact, all he did was tear off a corner of the robe that signified that Saul was the king. And even that mortified his soul that he had done something against the Lord. His friends were telling him to kill him. When they saw him come in, they said to him in, in 1 Samuel 24, 4, they said, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. And right here you can see that his men were urging him to kill him, to use violence to end his suffering, kill Saul. But David could see that the Lord was testing his faith. He was testing his resolve. Would David give in to his anger and kill Saul? Or would he trust the Lord to handle it for him? And David showed incredible faith and integrity while his very life was being threatened. David felt a deep guilt, as we just said, well up by just cutting the corner off of his robe. Saul, on the other hand, he was so far from the Lord by this time in his life that he let his rage of jealousy and fury against David rule him. And it, his emotions took over from reason as he continually tried to kill him. So when, David, when Saul had finished doing his business, David went out and he repented and confessed to what he had done before Saul. Explaining to Saul that, hey, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I didn't kill you. I saved your life. Saul saw David in his remorse, and he had mercy on him and confessed that David was indeed a king and that he will establish Israel under his kingship. And then Saul requests David take an oath not to kill him, and David agrees that he will not kill Saul. He had never planned to kill Saul. The next several chapters in 1 Samuel, you notice that Saul continues to chase after David, even after this encounter where his life was spared. Samuel, or, uh, Saul continues to try and kill David. And it is thought that somewhere in this story between 1 Samuel 22 and 24 that David wrote Psalm 57. Let's read the psalm together. Psalm 57, starting in verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out to God most high, to God 
who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for Psalm 57. Lord, I, I thank you, God, for David and who he is and that he is your anointed king, that he was a man after your own heart, Lord, that you loved him and you were there for him. Lord, I pray that today as we look at this psalm that he wrote to your honor and glory, Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak through me as your spirit would speak, that I would just be here as your mouthpiece, but it would be your voice that we hear. Open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us today, to help us to know you better than when we walked in this morning, to be obedient to you in our faithfulness. In Christ's name I pray, amen. When we look and we go to the first section here of Psalm 57, we're going to see the first five verses, looking at verses 1 through 5. We're going to see in these first actual three verses, 1 through 3, we're going to see four ways that David shows his faith to the Lord. And the first one is that he knows his refuge is in the Lord. Number two is he knows the storms will pass. The third one is that he knows the Lord will fulfill the purpose that he has for David. And fourth, he knows the Lord will save him from his enemies. So let's look at verse 1. We see in verse 1 that there's a pattern that David uses again throughout the psalm. And it means that he repeats his request for God's mercy. He says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. This is a poetic technique used to emphasize a point the psalmist is trying to make. In this case, David is trying to make to the Lord. David is pleading for God's mercy on his life. But David is not pleading in the sense of just hoping that God will save him. He knows God will give him his mercy. And how does he know this? Because David has witnessed this many, many times in his life. And to fully understand exactly who David is and why he's writing what he's writing, we need to dig a little bit further into David's past. So if you'll look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to look at one example of this, and this is when David was getting ready to fight Goliath, the giant Philistine. Starting in verse 31 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, it says, 
When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated, they were, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Remember, this is the same Saul who now is trying to kill David. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, but you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said, Now get this, this and the rest of the reading, this is important. This will help us to understand where David is coming from. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord, get this, listen to this, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And we know from the rest of the story that God did. And David killed Goliath with one shot from a slingshot to the head of the great giant Philistine. So David was not afraid. Fear was not something that David dealt with. It did not stop him from being obedient to the Lord. David knew that the Lord had his back. David's lack of fear was not because of arrogance or some macho bravado. It was because of his faith in the Lord. David was never afraid because he saw from the pattern of his life that the Lord always helped him through tough times, through tough confrontations. Instead, David was resolved to be obedient to the Lord. So let me ask you this. Does fear stop you from being obedient to the Lord even when times are difficult? Or are you resolved in your faith to believe the Lord and His promises and to remain obedient to Him no matter the circumstances. Let me define resolve for you. Resolve means to have conviction. It means that to have the will to finish something that you've been given to do. To decide firmly on a course of action and then to follow through on it. So when we go back to verse 1, David says he places his soul in the refuge of God. David says he finds his refuge in the shadow of the Lord's wings. And he waits there until the storms of destruction pass by. David knows that the storms in life are temporary. They may seem like they will never end, but at some point we all know that they do. I know some of us here today are dealing with some difficult things in our lives. And I don't want to make light of any of those things that are happening in your life. I know Sherry and I have dealt with some difficult things recently ourselves. But the storm will pass. And just like that tornado story that I shared with you, it will pass. 
But it might leave a path of destruction behind that needs to be cleaned up. But the Lord will help us as well. There is no doubt of that. We must remain strong in our resolve that the Lord is faithful to keep His promises and allow us to go to Him and find shelter in the storms. To believe in the promises that He has given us. I want you to go with me into the psalm for a second. That when I read this psalm, when I knew I was going to preach on this psalm, I want to take you with where the Lord took me. Where the Lord took me was this. That as I was reading this psalm to prepare, the first thing that came to my mind was that I find shelter in the cross of Christ. That I cling to the Christ and His cross when trouble hits. And I sit there under the shelter of His outstretched arms as His blood and sweat protect me from my enemies around me. We have nothing to fear because we have Christ in our life. There is no reason for us to be afraid. There is no reason for us to not have the resolve to endure tough times because we have Christ. And it is not anything that you and I have done, but everything that He has done that saves us. Amen. We find refuge in the cross as David finds refuge under the wings of the Lord. A metaphor that describes, as Matt pointed out last week, what a mother bird does with their young and protects them by getting them under the wings and closing the wings around them so that the enemies can't get to them. That is your God. We must have an unending determination in our belief that this is a fact and that we can find our refuge in Him. We have to remember that Jesus is the one who took our sins to the cross and willingly shed His blood for us. He took the wrath of God that belonged to us and He took it upon Himself willingly so that we wouldn't have to. And we can run to Him and find our refuge in our lives, when we put our faith and trust in Him, we become transformed from spiritual death to spiritual life. But we also get so much more than just that. And isn't that great enough in itself? But let me explain to you what else we get from that. When we put our faith in Christ, we recognize Him as our Lord and Savior, we give Him dominion over us. Understand, even if you're here today and you don't believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, He already has dominion over you. It is a lie to yourself to think that you have any dominion at all. But when you recognize that He has the dominion over you, and you humbly submit yourself to His authority as Lord God Almighty, when we do this, we receive all the promises of heaven to protect us and save us. We have the ability then to walk through life and all the difficulties it brings us with our heads held high. Not out of arrogance, but out of a humble resolve knowing that Jesus walks with us and the Spirit of God lives 
in us. Fear has no dominion over us. Why? Because we are children of the King. And we have the mighty army of the Lord behind us. Our enemies do not rule over us because Christ is our King. He is the one who rules over us. His purpose for our lives win the day. Romans 12.2 tells us to renew our minds, to be transformed in our thinking. We use this verse a lot because it's a great verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may, be, you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do you see? Testing is how we understand and find the purpose of God, His will for us, His will that He has for the world. Romans 14.8 says this, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. See, ultimately, it doesn't matter whether we live or we die. We belong to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. What is the worst thing that could happen to us? We end up with more time in eternity with Him. That is pitiful, isn't it? I mean, who wouldn't want that? Seriously, come on. That is the greatest thing ever. That is the good news. So when we come back here to verses 2 and 3 in this psalm, David even flushes this thought out a little bit more when he says that he cries out to the God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for him. And then David shows his faith by saying with certainty that God will send from heaven and save him. He will put shame on David's enemy. God will send his steadfast love and his faithfulness. I ask you, do you see any wavering at all in David's faith? His resolve in his obedience to the Lord? No. Because David knows God will do these things. There is no question in his mind. So let me ask you this question again. When the storms of destruction come into your life, who do you cry out to? Do you turn to the Lord? Do you turn to a friend? Do you turn to a spouse? Or do you turn in fear and hide? Do you have the resolve that David shows by going straight to the Lord and finding your refuge in Him? My daughter Casey this week, I asked her and she gave me permission to tell the story. It's a little gross. I know there's a ladies' lunch afterwards, but I won't go into all the details. But she called me. I was working on the sermon. It was Thursday afternoon. And she calls, and sometimes when she calls, I get a little nervous. I don't really know why she's calling me. And this turned out to be the case. She calls me, and she goes, Dad, 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 and she's just crying. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is not going to be good. And she goes, I have a big problem. I have a big problem. I have an emergency. And she goes, and, and water is sewage and stuff is just coming out of the toilet and onto the floor, and I don't know what to do. I've turned the water off, and there's 
refuse and stuff, and I'm putting it mildly compared to the way she said it, and toilet paper and things everywhere. And I don't even know whose it is. I don't use that bathroom. <laughs> and I said, I said, Horace, I was like, oh man, I'm two and a half hours away. There's not a whole lot I'm going to be able to do in this moment. And I said, did you turn the water off? And she said, yes, I turned the water off. And I said, okay, calm down, calm down, calm down. Call a plumber right away. I mean, <laughs> what great dad advice, right? <laughs> Call a plumber. Which plumber? Well, probably the first one, you know. <laughs> Find the first one and call it. And then I said, do you mind before you call if I pray? Because, I mean, that's all I could do, right? I mean, I say that's all I could do, but that's probably the best thing I could do. So we prayed. And I got her to calm down. And the Lord, you know, we prayed that this wouldn't be as bad as it sounded. We thought this was the worst possible plumbing thing that you could imagine. The way she was describing it to me, it was like the poop ap apocalypse was happening. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, it was like, ah, it was so gross. <laughs> and, and, and she prayed, and we prayed, and you know, it turned out to be not that big a deal. She does have some destruction that's in the path that needs to be cleaned up, but everything is okay. And it's the Lord, the Lord. I give the Lord all the praise. We think, we think sometimes that the Lord doesn't care about the small things. And believe me, this was no small thing at the time. But in the, in the scope of reality, it was. We think he doesn't matter. He doesn't care about the small things, but he does care about the small things. He is in the details, and he does care. He wants us to take even sewer backups to him. In verse 4, David lays out his particular problem. He says, My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords, David's soul, his very being, his insides are laid down in the midst of lions. And among the children of men who are carrying destructive weapons who want to kill him, humans with an intent to do harm. I don't have to go into what they were going to do because we spent a great deal of time talking about that already. But in verse 5, in spite of what was going on in David's life, this is what he says. He says this, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David, David cries out to the Lord. This is not a man who is afraid. This is not a man who is wavering in his faith. This is a man who trusts in the Lord to save his life as he had shown him to do many times in his past. He knows the Lord will save him now. And if he doesn't, so what? I'm going to exalt the Lord anyway. The question becomes for us, is will God, and maybe for you as you think about it, is will God show me the same protection that he shows David. Is that available to me? Will he give me victory over my enemies? And if so, why hasn't he done so already in my life when I'm facing these difficulties? And there are times in our life when we find ourselves in a cave. I know I found myself in a cave before. We go in there and we hide 
from our enemies. Let's look at a few examples of some caves maybe you might find yourself in here. You probably won't find yourself in every cave, but I'll bet you find yourself in one of these caves. Maybe your enemy that you're in the cave from is a person who continually passes gossip or makes up untrue stories about you. Maybe it's somebody in church or somebody on social media. Maybe you considered this person to be your friend, but now you feel a breach in your friendship and it hurts deeply. And you become angry and you want revenge. Maybe your enemy is an addiction it, it continually whispers in your ear, oh, nobody will know. It's just this one time. Just do it this one time and I'll let you quit. Come on. You can do it. Come on. Give in. And the voice gets louder and louder in your head until finally you just want to give in to make that voice stop. Or maybe your enemy is a former spouse or a bad relationship you thought your hurt was in the past and you were over it, but that person keeps showing up in your life and causing you hurt. And you just want them to get out of your life forever so the pain will go away and you can move on. But they don't. Maybe your enemy is a bad financial decision that you, excuse me, that you made. And the consequences keep haunting you. And every time the phone rings, it reminds you of that mistake. Man, if only I could have a million dollars, all my problems would go away. But I don't have a million dollars. Maybe your enemy is a grief that you're carrying around from the loss of someone close to you. The pain from that loss keeps resurfacing even at the worst time. It comes on you unexpected when you're driving or when you're at Walmart, or maybe when you're at church, or just out of nowhere. Maybe it's in the middle of the night, and it keeps you from sleeping, night after night. Because you love that person so much, and if you could just put that loss behind you, you'd be fine, but then you have guilt for even feeling that way, thinking that you might forget that person forever. Maybe your enemy is a sin that you keep repeating and you can't seem to get over it. No matter how much you've prayed to the Lord, you keep doing the same sin over and over and the shame that you feel from the sin prevents you from even going to God's Word and reading the Bible. And certainly, it, God wouldn't want to hear from such a failure as me, so why would I want to pray to Him? Because He would not want to hear from me. And so you isolate yourself away from the one who can help you. There are so many more that we, we don't have time to deal with. And maybe you've thought of one that I didn't mention. But I will bet that there's one in here, at least one, that you will find yourself in at least at some point in your life. And when we go through these things, we tend to isolate ourselves. And our true enemy, Satan, he wants us to be isolated. He wins when we isolate ourselves away from our brothers and sisters in Christ, away from God. He wants to isolate us away from the Lord. And he succeeds in doing that if we do not claim the victory in Christ and not allow him to do so. 
Because isolation, that nobody wants to be around you when you're going through a storm, is a lie. And don't isolate yourself. Repent if it's a sin and you're isolating yourself from the Lord and hiding from Him. Repent and run straight to Jesus. David in Psalm 57, he gives us a basic formula, if you will, in how we keep ourselves from isolating ourselves from the Lord. He says that the basic formula is to recognize the issue itself, to cry out to the Lord and run to Him as our refuge. To understand that even though these enemies, these problems, leave a path of destruction behind as consequences, these storms are temporary and they will pass. Even if you live the rest of your days fighting enemies over and over again, this time on earth is temporary. As believers, we live in the future. We live in the time to come and the not yet. The promise of eternal joy, eternal glory, eternal fellowship with our Savior and Lord. Like David, we must let our minds rule over our emotions and not let our emotions rule over what we know is true from God's Word. Run as fast as you can to Jesus and find your refuge in the cross. Find yourself a godly friend that you can go to, but do not stay alone. The Lord knows what we're going through. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4 say, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And then in verses 23 and 24, the psalmist writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, there is nothing that we're going through in our lives right now that the Lord doesn't already know about. And so there's no reason to hide it from Him because you're not hiding anything from Him. There is nothing you can hide from Him. So we've spent a lot of time looking at the first half of the psalm, which is laying out the issues that are before David. And David's crying out to the Lord. We identified the four things that, that David was pouring out to the Lord. He said that he knows that his refuge is in the Lord. And the second thing is he knows that these storms will pass. And the third is that he knows the Lord will fulfill his purpose that he has for him. And the fourth thing is he knows the Lord will save him from his enemies. And as we look at the second half of the psalm, we see that David shows his response to the Lord. And he begins by reiterating again the problem that he is going through and what the, is happening to these people. Starting in verse 6, it says, They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. David begins by stating that his enemies have set a trap for him. <laughs> but it backfired on them. 
And now his enemies find themselves in the bottom of the pit. Now let's just be honest. Wouldn't we want to see all of our enemies in the bottom of the pit with no way of escape? Of course we would. Of course we would. But he doesn't say specifically in here that it is the Lord that caused them to fall into the pit. But we can make the assumption that that's what happened based on what we saw from the first half of the psalm. We also don't know for sure if David is speaking metaphorically on this issue or whether the enemies actually did fall into a pit. But from the point in David's life where it is believed that he wrote this psalm, and we know that psalm never stopped pursuing after David, that it was probably metaphorical in nature. So it seems, though, that David is acknowledging that the Lord will give him vindication and victory over his enemy. Have you ever experienced a time where the Lord gave you victory over an enemy and a difficulty where there was a pit that you were supposed to fall into? That it was supposed to swallow you up, but instead it swallowed up your enemy. Do you believe that the Lord will provide a path for victory for you? Do you have enough faith in the Lord to believe that you need to receive his grace and that he will give it to you. In verse 7, David says in his heart that he is steadfast and he repeats it and he gives it the same emphasis that he did in verse 1. My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast, he says. And then he claims that he will sing and make melody before the Lord. David's heart, even where he's at in his life, is so full of praise to the Lord as he is stuck in this cave waiting for Saul to kill him. And what does he do? He sings to the Lord and makes melody to him. Would that be your first response? Last week, Matt pointed out that I'm not a very good singer. And I admit that. I'm not a very good singer. When I was first a Christian and would come to church, Sherry and I would either come, we would try and time it so it was after the music so I didn't have to sing. Or, you know, I would not sing and then I started to sing really low like in a whisper. But you know what? As I have grown in the Lord and I've seen what He has done in my life, that he has gotten me out of some really weird situations, crazy things that we don't have time to talk about right now. I don't care what you guys think of me singing anymore. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing loud my praises like David. So yes, we, our response to the Lord, no matter the circumstances in our life, is to sing and make melody to him. He deserves our praises. He wants our praises. When I was uh, back in 1997, Stephen, would you throw that other picture up for me? This is, uh, this is in Washington, D.C., October 4th, 1997. This is a Promise Keepers event where, as you can see, a lot of guys showed up. That's all Christian men right there. There's up, the estimates say between 500,000 and a million men. I can tell you that I was there, and it was pretty close to, it had to be close to a million men. I mean, that is from the Capitol to the Washington Monument. And if you've been in that area of Washington, D.C., that is a long way. That is a long way. And the, 
and you can see it's in the mall, but if you look in between the trees, which there's no way you could do that right now, those guys stretch from building to building all the way up to the front. And the stage is right towards the top, right below the Capitol. And my buddies and I, we were probably about 50 feet from the stage because we drove 30 hours to get there. And my friend Rick Peterson said, I didn't drive 30 hours, Scott, to stand in the back. We're going to the front. So we walked all the way around all those people, all the way up to the front. It was the greatest time ever. A million guys, if you will, and I believe it was a million men, were there worshiping the Lord. And I guarantee you, there were a lot of bad singers in that group, I being included with them. But I have never in my life heard a more beautiful sound than to sit there quietly and listen to the voices of a million men praise the Lord. No matter what circumstance that those guys were in, and I'm sure a lot of them were going through some really difficult times praising the Lord. It didn't sound at all like somebody missed a note. I wouldn't have known. In fact, from, we were in the front. From the back, it was like an echo. So we would finish a verse, and then we'd go to the next one, and then all of a sudden from the back, you'd hear the verse before. It was great. It was as close to what heaven is going to look like that I, I can ever see. I have a picture of this downstairs to remind me what that was like. One of our core commitments at Calvary is to worship the Lord passionately. That means that we sing and we sing loud to the praise and glory of our King. And you guys are loud singers, and I'm grateful for that. It is wonderful to listen to you sing. So I'm grateful that you are a church of singers. Together we make a beautiful noise to the Lord's ears, and He is pleased. So yes, singing the praises to the Lord should be a response that we have while we wait for Him to deliver us. And then in verse 8, David proclaims that he will awaken his glory. He will awaken his harp and his lyre, which is like a guitar that we have now. And he will do it before the sun rises. He will greet the morning with praise to the Lord. I remember when I retired from my job, um, my corporate job, to, to go into ministry. And my friends told me that when I retired, I would never see another sunrise again. Well, I was up this morning at 5 o'clock, and that's normal for us. I love to see the sunrise. There is nothing greater than the sunrise, and then I stay up late enough so that I can see the sunset. In the winter, that's easy. A little harder in the summer, but we get up, we greet the morning with our praise to the Lord. First thing in the morning. <laughs> In verse 9, David really lets out his heart and his praise to the Lord. He promises to publicly give thanks to the Lord and sing his praises loudly to all the nations that are surrounding him. His heart is filled with praise no matter what chaos happens around him. You might think, I can't do that. I'm not David. David's special. Well, let me put that false thinking to rest. If you are a believer, if you've put your trust in Christ, then it's your duty to give your faith and your praise to the Lord. That is exactly what we're supposed to do. No matter what we're going after, 
no matter who's chasing after us. We praise God no matter what. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, Through Him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Romans 5, 2-5 says, Through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Suffering has purpose, even though it's difficult. It helps us to understand what God's deliverance and hope really means. If we didn't have difficulty in our life, why would we have hope? Why would we even need to get perseverance? And then David writes in verse 10, he says, For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. David is able to praise the Lord in this way because of the Lord's loving kindness, his never-ending love, his steadfast love. David says that his, the Lord's love is as great as the heavens. And if we know anything about the heavens at all, we know that it's really, really big. It's bigger than anything we could see through the most powerful telescope. It is large. We don't know how big the heavens is. But the Lord's love is greater than that. It has no end. And that is why we can praise him in the storms of destruction. And David ends this psalm repeating the same verse as in verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And I know that makes you want to sing that old song, doesn't it? Be exalted, O God above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, who lost his son to suicide, said this. He said, the ultimate test of faith is not how loudly you praise God in the happy times, but how deeply you trust him in dark times. So where do you find yourself today? Do you find yourself in despair? Run to Jesus if you do. When you have Christ, you have all the armies of heaven behind you. But when you're alone, you fight all the armies of hell by yourself. You choose which one you'd rather have. For me, I run to the cross. I run to the loving arms of my Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, again for your message. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, for David. And I pray, God, that we would learn these lessons well, that we would come to you and praise you with expectant faith that you will protect us, Lord, that we will praise you no matter the circumstances in our life. For we love you. And we know that you love us. In fact, you loved us before we loved you. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you, God, for what he did on the cross and that we could find refuge under it. 
under his outstretched arms. And that by putting our faith and trust in you, Lord, that you will provide us all the armies of heaven to protect us from our enemies. Lord God, I just pray that if anyone here today doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, has not experienced this joy of knowing that you are with them through all things, that today would be the day that they would do so. And I praise you and thank you in your name. Amen. So as we come to this time,